Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Fresh Brewed Kentucky Politics. As always, if you are listening to this as a replay, this is live on Facebook and YouTube, but if you're listening to it as a replay, uh, you can always go to the actual uh, podcast that is on Spotify, Apple, everywhere where you go get your podcast, generally speaking, and it is called Fresh Brewed Kentucky Politics. So you can follow us there if you don't want to listen to us. Uh, all the way through here. You don't want to leave open the YouTubes or the Facebooks. You can go there. I thank you guys for joining me. Please uh, feel free to go ahead and hit that share button if you're watching this live. Please hit that share button. Let people know we're out here. We're going live. We've got, got some stuff to talk about uh, as well. We're going to be talking about, uh, I'm going to talk real quick about the Prime Act. We did a post about that earlier today. Uh, Sunrise Children's Services, oldest adoption agency in Kentucky, uh, getting services cut by Bashir because he hates children clearly uh Bashir has decided to lift some restrictions and Fayette County schools have decided you don't know how to choose your board properly and they're gonna fix that for you and uh, of course have the Biden uh administration slash Democrats already screwed up the economy already screwed up the opening. Of course they have. We all know they have. I'm going to go into to just how they've done it and, and some of the talking points I'm hearing out there. But I thank you guys for joining me as we dig into this. Once again, hit that share button. If you want to support us, please come by the coffee shop in Lexington. Uh, you can also buy offline at broodco.com, B-R-E-W-E-D-C-O. Dot com broodco.com you can also go to donate.broodco.com go ahead like i said hit the share button leave us a comment let us know where you're from something like that otherwise we're going to go ahead and dig into it so uh the prime act i posted about it earlier today this is uh, essentially our food processing systems here in america have been consolidated down into 85 percent of of meat processing has been handled uh by these four companies two of which aren't even owned by America. One is owned out of Brazil, one owns out of China. And and the way they've done this is kind of the atypical cronyism way of doing it, which is to get a regulation in place saying you have to have a full-time USDA inspector in order to make it to where your average local butcher, your average local farmers and things like that um, can't have a hard time uh, being able to sell you fresh, locally grown and, and raised meat. They have a hard time with it. And it also creates very few buyers too as well. So, you know, if you're selling your cattle or what have you, um, it can create very few buyers that, that can be setting the price. And we saw this during COVID. I mean, we saw uh, that their food processing plants were shut down. So we saw beef shortage. We saw pork shortages. We saw lots of meat shortages. Meanwhile, though, you had... Um, farmers having to call having to kill off some of their herd and just like bury them or whatever and not be able to process them because the processing plants had closed due to COVID, had employee shortages couldn't process fast enough so it had nothing to do with um anything more to do than than the centralization we have of our supply chains when it comes to meats here in america and so the prime act brings it more local closer to home and it helps us out with this situation so we don't have a repeat of that. Now, <clears throat> I was talking to Congressman Massey about the Prime Act. Uh, I, if, if anybody had follows us way back when, not way back when, but about six months ago, I was stumping for the Prime Act then too as well. I think it's a very important thing. I know a lot of you are surprised. You're like, you're, what do you know about meat? Nothing. Uh, nothing. I, I don't own a cattle farm. I don't know much about cows. Uh, I just don't like government regulation. <laughs> 
information, and I don't like uh, government uh, and and big meat using government to create a um a a situation that is um, not conducive to competition. I I don't I don't like that at all, and so that's my big problem with it. And so I hope you guys join us now. Thomas Massey told me um, that he's having a hard time getting the the Farm Bureau to talk to him about it. He's even willing to work with them. Change it around a little bit if they need it, if it doesn't work with them, but they can't get the farm bureau to work with them. He said, if I could get that endorsement, that would help get this thing over the finish line, get this thing talked about a little bit more, get this thing passed. So please call your, your farm bureau, call the state farm bureau. If you're listening in Kentucky, call that one. If you're listening in another state, you can call your farm bureau too and ask them to look at the Prime Act, P-R-I-M-E Act. So moving on uh, to, to I, I've been seeing a lot of story about this. I know... You guys probably have as well Sunrise Children's Services. So this is uh, the oldest adoption and foster agency in Kentucky. And so for a little bit of history, um, typically government contracts uh, have like non-discrimination clauses. And so Sunrise, of course, is a religious organization. So they have some religious uh, exemptions they typically get with their contracts. So typically they get an exemption that says, Sunrise, you can provide these services. Don't worry, you don't have to adopt or foster into situations you don't religiously agree with because, you know, that happens, right? You have people involved with, with churches and fostering, and if they don't believe in something in their religion, then that's their right to do so. But that doesn't mean that they haven't placed children into homes and where it can help. And, and quite frankly, um, as long if you are a, a couple that they're not willing to adopt to, there's a many other agencies you can use to adopt. You do have your freedom of choice. So it's not like it's a stranglehold on the market per se. Uh, it is literally, you can go, um, it's not like they had a stranglehold on the market. It's not like you didn't have anybody service them. They were literally just helping get kids foster care and adopted. Okay. So what if they had their own rules about who they would adopt to or who they'd foster to? There's other organizations that would adopt and foster out to those parents that fell into that categories that they want to adopt to. It doesn't matter. What matters is, is children were getting put into homes, loving homes, caring homes, and, and that's the number one care right? That's the number one thing. Who cares that somebody doesn't want to serve you because of religious exemptions? If you, as long as you can get, as long as you can get, uh, um, adoptions done, right? As long as the government isn't coming in and saying you can't get, you can't adopt because you are a, a, a couple that, um, let's say, I don't know, a homosexual couple. Let's say they don't want to adopt to that. As long as the government isn't coming in saying you're not allowed to adopt because you're a homosexual couple and that homosexual couple uh, is able to adopt, I don't see a problem with Sunrise themselves saying we don't want to adopt to homosexual couples. And as I understand it, there's plenty of places where you can adopt from if you're a homosexual couple. And so they were just helping get kids place. So for years and years and years and years, Sunrise Children's Services has always had an exemption that allows them to follow their religious convictions. And that makes sense. I mean, listen, it's not like here in Kentucky, we do have a problem with um, child abuse. We have a problem with, with obviously taking care of children. We're one of the highest ranked for, for child abuse and domestic violence and things like that. So here in Kentucky, it's not as if, I'm not saying, not as if we don't have a shortage, but it's not as if there's a long line of people waiting for kids and there's no kids and they're just like literally 
they need help. They constantly need foster parents. They constantly need uh, uh, foster homes. They constantly need adoption. You know, people, there's, uh, there's, they constantly need people to come adopt. And so it's not as if there's a shortage here. So if they're helping get kids adopted and find foster homes and they've been doing it for a while and there's other options, I don't see why you care so much. But Bashir, for the first time, like in a long time, will not give Sunrise Children Services their exemption. Even his father gave them their exemption. He will not give them their exemption to allow them to operate and renew their state contract um, unless they're willing to go against their freedom of beliefs. And, you know, they're not willing to do that because those are their, their held religious convictions. And so, you know, I think at the end of the day, no matter how you feel about whether or not Sunrise should be adopting to whoever they should be adopting to i don't think it really matters as much as that there's plenty of kids out there that need to find homes and anybody who's willing to do it and put them in good homes where they're not going to be abused why are we turning them down why are we telling them no especially if they're experienced i don't know i have no clue i do know because bashir cares more about making a stand and getting a chance to exercise his control than he does trying to get kids in homes. That's just my personal opinion. You feel differently about it. I hear you. I think you're wrong. I think as many places that are adopting out children and, and fostering children as possible, as long as they're into safe, once again, safe homes and good homes, it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. Until we get to a point where we, we have less children than we have homes, I don't see where the complaint is. Just go somewhere else. Like, I, I don't get it. But anyways... So that's uh, been circulating around on the internet. If you want to help with that, call Bashir's office. Tell him to renew the Sunrise Children Services contract. I do suggest you do that. So uh, go ahead. And if, you, and if you're just joining us, please hit the share button. If you're watching live, I encourage you uh, to hit the share button. If you're listening to this on a replay or on podcast, I, I invite you. Tell a friend. Turn to the guy next to you and say, hey, listen to Brood. Listen to Fresh Brood Kentucky Politics. Let me show it to you. But shit. I, well, don't share earbuds, but, you know, tell them about it. Anyways, Bashir lifting restrictions, okay? So, first off, a lot of people, a lot of articles, oh, look at Bashir lifting restrictions, right? Well, it's a victory in the sense that he originally had came out, and and, and if you guys remember, I made a post, and, and I talked about this in my podcast, uh, I think about a week or two ago. He had initially came out, remember, when he said 2.5 million vaccinated or I'm not lifting another mandate. He came out and said it, and we said no. We dug in our heels. We said, no, that is not okay. That is a vaccine backdoor vaccine mandate. That is not cool. You will not do that. And so we start protesting and we start pushing and we start making it public and we start applying pressure. And then if you remember a couple days ago or a couple weeks ago, I made the post that he was starting to lay the groundwork for him to lift the restrictions. He started saying, well, you know, I may not do it all at once because you guys are going too slow. Instead, I'm going to, I'll do it steadily and, and gradually, right? Now, of course, nobody, and, and this, is, this is a crying shame of these reporters that get to be, because of course, you know, you got to be approved and get to ask your questions, uh, that get to be in the press room or the press Zoom conference, whatever it is, with Bashir every single day, a crying shame. I want one of them, one time, one time to ask the question, yeah, uh, what's the science there? Can you show us the specific science that says why now you can take some place that had 60% capacity, you're going to lift it to 75% capacity, 
Can you show us the science that says that 15 percentage of difference? If, if, if we don't lift that 15 percentage of difference right now, how many people will die? How many people are we saving by not just applying it right now? And they can't answer because there is no science. See, once again, Dr. Sack said this under oath. They're making value-based decision-making. They think this is what we can afford to do. Now, if he really wanted to really lift these mandates, they're really hurting business, but he doesn't want to because he wants to keep you under your thumb of control. He, he needs to take away the six-foot distancing rule because you can raise me to 100% capacity right now. If you're still enforcing six-foot distancing, it doesn't matter. You still walk into restaurants and every other table is closed. They don't care what your capacity is. And also, too, from the very beginning, capacity set by who? For an example, at Brood, our capacity set by the fire marshal is like right at 100 people. and But we only have somewhere around 60-ish tables and chair, uh, uh, ta chairs in the place. So we are automatically at 60% capacity without closing a single table, just normal operation, every butt filled in the seats. We're at 60% capacity. So if you're not going to lift the six-foot distancing rule, it doesn't matter you raise me up to 75%. You still can't fit more people if you're following the rules. You still can't fit more people. So really, this whole lifting of the six-foot distancing mandates as far as they go makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense at all. It doesn't do anything. But it makes him look like he's doing something. He's starting to get the pressure. I mean, you don't get booed. And when the biggest sporting events of the year that takes place in your state, handing off a trophy on national TV, and go home and feel good about yourself. It doesn't happen. He's feeling bad about himself. He's getting the pressure. He had the issue that happened, you know, a week ago where he had his counter-protesting supporters and he had 10 of them and 150 or so of us show up and then his counter-protesters make jerks out of themselves and we catch it on camera and we throw it out there. And now literally during his lives, people are like arguing about the Bashir-backed butcher is, is what uh, the, somebody had, had coined it as, uh, the lady pulling out knives on, on uh, peaceful protesters. Um, and so th those, those types of pressures, he's got to look like he's doing something. So he looks like he's doing something. Well, in comes the media pushing out, um, and, and, and for obvious reasons. So, and this goes into the story, goes into a little bit of why I posted, that a couple days ago, um, Quarles had started being like, join RPK, Republican Party of Kentucky, start pushing out Quarles is, uh, join Quarles in demanding Bashir sets an end date. And they start pushing it out there. And then you also had Matt Jones coming out. And honestly, I think Matt Jones uh, did way more by him saying the statement than Quarles is doing because, of course, Matt Jones is to the left. So it matters a little bit more to Bashir what he has to say. But they start saying, hey, yeah, look at us. We're doing this. And, and you know, these restrictions get lifted. And you see the media giving him some kudos and things like that. And listen, you know what? Somebody's joining in to help. It's not as much about 
who's getting the credit. There's people who I know should be getting the credit. There's people who've been fighting on the front line of this battle for a year and a half. There's people like Tony Wheatley with Constitutional Kentucky who has taken this judge to court many a times over the last year. The only reason why we can have protests and not worry about getting bothered is because Tony Wheatley currently has an injunction against the governor of this state saying he cannot specifically stop Tony Wheatley from protesting because last year the governor tried to stop Tony Wheatley from protesting. Chris Weiss, who has been taking the governor to court left and right. But of course, you know, they want to give the kudos to, to Quarles because he's running for governor and that's who the establishment wants to win. I understand that. We can have a discussion about whether or not we think Quarles would be a good governor. Um, you know, I have my reservations. You know, but I described it as it's as, it's as if we've all been shoveling coal into a train and it's pulling into the station and Quarles is coming around and he's throwing on the last piece of coal. He hasn't been shoveling it all. He's just throwing this last piece of coal. And he's stepping off the train, waving to everybody, pretending like he's the one who brought it in. That's not what's happening. What's happening is we've been fighting an endless battle for the last year or so. All the people in Liberty, people have been fighting even longer than I have, have been fighting to get this done. And we've been pushing the Overton window We've been pushing the, the public, the court of public opinion, farther over to the fact where, where the majority of Kentucky now is saying this. Almost 100% of the Republican Party agrees it's time to lift the mandates because we have been pushing that. Because other liberty folks, con like I said, Tony Wheatley, Constitutional Kentucky, We Free Ourselves, MAFA, all these groups out there have been pushing this and pushing this and fighting. Like I said, even longer than I have. But yet, you know, they want to be like, well, look at Quarles. He fired up this petition and then things dropped down. And, and that's... Except that's the establishment. They want to put him out there. They want him to win governor. And I don't know if he'd make a good governor or not, but I can tell you there's people, the kind of politicians I like are not the politicians that do things when they're expedient. And I know people are like, well, but he had the Evans Orchard case. Well, the Evans Orchard case was also filed after Chris Weiss had already filed several cases himself fighting, uh, fighting these exact same mandates and orders in different industries and, and, Reading the complaints, it looks like to me, not saying this happened, Quirrell's literally copy-pasted Chris Weiss's complaints that were already getting positive press and positive response by, by Republicans around the state and tried to repeat the same thing. And as I understand, it got held up by, it's, it's still held up by the Supreme Court. Nothing really came about it. It had an injunction filing. Um, but, it, you know, there's no actual decision made on the case as far as it goes. And so, you know, you end up with this situation where you have Quarles who is doing things when it's politically expedient. And what we need is leaders who will do things when they're not popular. Because the people who do things when they're popular can be manipulated. The people who do things when it's popular, in my opinion, um, you know, you can first, you can get a seat at the table just by donating them enough money. As long as you show them a poll that says what you want it to say, they're going to go with you. But instead, we need leaders like Rand Paul, for an example. Rand Paul has been wearing a mask in the Senate for a while. Rand Paul's been pushing back on these things since, I believe, like September of last year. I remember him first really starting to go in and push heavy. Well before it was politically popular. While red state governors were still putting in forth mass mandates and everything else, Rand Paul was pushing against them publicly using the power of the pulpit. And that's when people are like, well, what do you want Ryan Quarles to do? He's the ad commissioner. He has a pulpit, as we just saw. He could be, have been using that power of the pulpit for months, and he hasn't been. 
Like we see with, with once again, another individual, and, and I know obviously I just recently talked to him, but take Congressman Massey, for example, who when it was unpopular last year, when everybody wanted to basically suspend the Constitution, the need to have a quorum to vote on something during COVID for the first COVID relief bill, and Massey said, no, you, we have to come back and vote. And they all begged him not to do it. 415 House reps. He's, the, he's one of the only ones who said, no, we're coming back to vote. I am not agreeing to this. We need to have a quorum because that is what is constitutionally mandated. It was not popular then. It was not popular, even with, with a lot of people. Now, looking back, we see that that was a smart move because it was saying we cannot suspend the Constitution just because there's a pandemic. And Massey was saying that when that was not popular. Rand was saying these things when it was not popular. It's now popular. And so now you have the establishment getting on board like RPK and Quarles and all them. You know, even, even here with our state level, I mean, you, you did have Savannah Mannix last year saying, hey, we need to limit this governor's powers. And people not listening to her it wasn't a popular stance. Of course, you have Felicia Rayborn, the only House rep to stand up on the floor and say, we need to impeach Governor Bashir. Those are thought leaders. Those people are leaders. People who jump on when it's politically expedient, they're not leaders. So that, that was, uh, you know, my annoyance with that is we need to be giving kudos. If we're going to give kudos to these politicians and these fighters, we need to be giving them to the people who deserve it like the Tony Wheatley, like the other individuals who face going to jail to go to church on Easter and face stuff, like Chris Weiss, like Rand Paul, like Thomas Massey. These people who are standing up when it's unpopular, those are the individuals that are leaders. Those are the people that have a belief. So anyways, going on though, the real story here that they're hiding as they're talking about this plummeting, as they're talking about lifting these mandates is the plummeting vaccination rate. So to remind you guys, we were vaccinating, I think two weeks ago, around 15 to 20,000 ish people a day. If you rewind a prior podcast, it's talking about, okay, we're doing about 60,000 ish a week, I believe was the last time I kind of ran through the math of how long it would take. Uh, prior podcast, I mentioned that they'd done 1500. I didn't think that was accurate. Well, here, here, guys, I'm here to show, tell you, according to, once again, the Herald-Leader, uh, this was in today, in the article today, um, they have been averaging over the last three days uh, only 2,956 vaccinations a day. Like a week or two ago, they were doing 15 to 20,000 a day, 60,000 a week. They're now at the point of doing maybe, maybe 20,000 this week. That's the real story. That's what they're not talking about. That's probably going on all over too, and that's why we're seeing them push for this emergency use authorization 2 through 11. We're also seeing that Pfizer has put in the okay for full approval because they said, hey, to get full vaccine approval, you only need six months of data. We have six months of data because you all have graciously given us that data by taking this shot. Well, we couldn't be held liable for it. 
you all have graciously taken it. So now you've given us the data. So now we can turn around and approve it. And guys, when this vaccine, when the Pfizer vaccine gets approved, it's a problem. And it isn't just a problem because they can start now advertising it. It becomes a problem because now businesses can mandate it as a part of employment. Private businesses have the ability to mandate it. And what we're going to see is one of the grossest monsters of private business and government you have ever seen. Worse than the corporate welfare we've been seeing for years. You're going to see the one of the worst things. Now, even once it's a fully approved, the federal government cannot mandate vaccines and the state because of SBA cannot mandate it. But local, but private businesses can make it a part of your employment. They can also uh, start requiring it, I guess, to fly on planes and things like that if they so choose. Now, there, there can be some arguments there. Once again, I've said it many times. I do not believe airplanes are private businesses, and I can make an argument, a very good one, that that's not the case. But we're going to see the biggest monster of government private business, and this is why. And this is the problem that nobody seems to want to face off against. The government has proven if you have a COVID emergency based upon whatever their definitions is, because they've never had to tell you what is a COVID emergency. What level of cases, a positivity rate of whatever dictates an emergency and not an emergency. It has literally been based upon their opinion because you have Tennessee and Kentucky right on top of each other. And you have one state that says the COVID emergency is over and you got this other state up here saying the COVID emergency is still going. You still have a mask mandate. It's an ongoing emergency and it's very deadly and it's dangerous. And this one's saying it's over. So it's clearly up for debate on where is the emergency? There is no legal definition of the emergency of, of when it becomes an emergency and when it's not. You're going to say, well, if it's considered a pandemic. Well, TB is considered a pandemic. Has been for years. But you have this ugly monster that's going to rear its head as soon as it's approved. Private businesses saying, I mean, you already have, if you read the articles about these vaccinations, I was reading one yesterday, you already have UK students, and they're quoted as saying this, and nobody sees anything wrong with it. And, and it drives me crazy, saying that, oh, I'm getting vaccinated, I didn't want to get vaccinated, I don't want it, but it's probably going to be required anyways to do anything, so I'm just going to go ahead and get it. That is so wrong. We should never make anybody feel like they're going to be required to get something that is only six, seven months old. I think we keep forgetting that. Keep in mind, I mean, in the entire country, under 45 is at about 15,000 deaths, according to the CDC. Under 45, 15,000 deaths, entire country. Millions of people, millions of cases. And yet you don't get to decide whether or not you are taking a vaccine. This person's getting it forced into them. Essentially, they're saying, oh, I'm going to be forced anyways. Might as well take it. And, it. and it's irrational thinking, too, as well. It's this irrational thinking that government ever had a, a requirement or need or have to to provide you safety from infectious diseases. It is not their role. It never was their role. You can get a vaccine if you want to. Rates are way down, way down, government needs to get over and get out of the lives. 
They never had a role in it to begin with. You are not guaranteed safety from the government, from illnesses. They've given you a vaccine. You can choose to take it to protect you against others. Otherwise, live your lives. Because the people we have at the wheel right now say things like, I'm never taking my mask off, ever. They say things like, I, I, I literally will wear the mask for the rest of my life. I wear it outside while I'm walking my dog. I feel safer. Those are the people who have the wheel right now if you've got a Democrat governor like we do. Those are the people. Anyways, moving on to Fayette County Public Schools have decided you don't know how to vote for your board. I'm not kidding you. So Fayette County Public Schools has decided um, because they recently have come under scrutiny uh, because they supposedly have been mistreating minorities, I guess, because they have been disproportionately affected by suspensions and, and expulsions. Um, and so because of that scrutiny, the all-white school board, so it used to have two minorities on, on it, and now it's all-white school board, and they say, hold on here, we need diversity. Now let's keep in mind the school board is elected by you guys. They're elected. Okay, a school board is a elected body. And they're saying that you idiots who chose us, why did you choose us? We're all white people. You should have chose a minority. You chose wrong when you voted us in. <laughs> that is what they're saying. They're saying, you idiots who voted for white people that we are. If you've got a problem with diversity, if you've got a problem with diversity on your board, how about you step down, white people? I'm looking at you, Tyler Murphy. You already got that uh, issue there with the National School, National Teachers Union, NEA. You already have that gigantic conflict of interest, Tyler Murphy. Why don't you step down? and allow a minority to take over your seat. But no. No, see, you idiots had chosen wrong. So now the diversity committee, which is an actual committee that they have that oversees diversity issues, is looking at, they are looking at possibly adding board members, board members to the board, redistricting, because... They want to redistrict, I guess, to try to add two board seats possibly so they get a, a major minority area in hopes then a minority from that area will run for it. But, I mean, that doesn't deal with the problem. What if two dumb white people run from those districts too and win? Now you got the same problem because you allowed people to have a choice over who's leading their school board and they accidentally chose nothing but white people. That is ridiculous so instead they're looking at adding two possible board seats possibly non-voting it'd be scary to me if they're voting if they are voting members too that is frightening to me but they're looking at adding two non-voting board members now of course the people suggesting this is the diversity committee and where do you think these board members would be pulled from anybody want to guess Anybody want to guess who gets to be on the board? 
members of the diversity committee, of course. The people they're turning to to say, we have a diversity problem, fix it, is turning back and saying, well, you need to give us more power. That's your real problem. You need to give the diversity committee more power. And you know what? I can appreciate the idea of saying, hey, and I've said this before, saying, hey, it is good to have maybe uh, uh, some minorities on the board uh, so they can give us a different perspective on life. I agree with that sentiment. However, the board is voted for by the school district. The board is voted for by the school district. So what are you saying? That's the problem here. This isn't a hired position. The voters voted. That's what happens. So you end up with this situation of them adding uh, uh, board members from this diversity committee to look at things diverse. And, and, and you know what? At the end of the day, we're so caught up in this. Let's just worry about are the kids learning? Please. Can this stop being about what the skin color is of the board and start being about what's important? What is their performance? If you have minority children graduating at a higher rate with better grades, if you want them to go into college, going to college, becoming trades, but more importantly, if, if for people in the district that are starting in poverty, if they're finishing out of poverty, they're finishing high school, they're, they're not having children before they finish high school, and before they're married, and that's a key indicator of success, right? If they're accomplishing those things, do you care what the skin color is of the people accomplishing them? I don't think the kid does. Now, you could make the argument that a, a, a minority is going to relate better to another minority child, and I hear you on that argument. I hear you. But square for me how you take a totally elected board and make it more racially diverse. Are you going to make a rules that say that only this many white people can can try to run for this but I, I i literally have no clue how you square this i have no clue how you square this and it's scary to me that this is the kind of thing they've let the equity council committee do and say to have this much control to have this much ability you're so worried about skin color to the point that you're changing the board you're talking about redistricting the board to add seats you're talking about adding non-voting members all for what For what? I don't know. I mean, like I said, I'm not here to, to say that people's life experiences aren't important. I just, I don't understand that. That is just, it just feels too far to me. If you want to say diversity in hiring and you got to hit these percentages of hiring, that's something different than saying diversity of an elected body. The electorate chose them. Apparently, Fayette County Public Schools think you chose wrong. Chose too many white people. So Biden and the Democrats have already screwed up opening. Let me explain. So remember when, and, and so somebody today had actually commented this, be like, remember all the Democrats vote against you restaurants when they wouldn't give you the, the um, relief package. They wouldn't vote for the relief package for you guys and everything else. Here's a dirty little secret. At that point, us restaurant owners, reading that package and seeing the extension of unemployment, most of us who, who understand it didn't want it. If you guys remember, Bashir was pushing for a small business relief package. 
here in Kentucky for, for part of the budget to go there. And I had publicly stated, I do not want that package to pass. I want you to get out of our lives. I want you to stop forcing us to be closed where we need any relief package. I want you to leave us alone. That's what I want. I don't want your relief packages. I want you to allow me to open my business again. Well, I'm sorry. I, I never had to ask you permission. I want you to get out of my way. They said, no, 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 no. We're going to pass this relief package that extended out unemployment, and I believe it's till the end of June, with an additional money for being unemployed. And that has caused many restaurants. I don't have this struggle, personally, but I know a lot of restaurant owners that do. Where they, some restaurants are having to close full-on days that they'd normally be open because they don't have enough employees. Imagine you've been struggling for a year with closures, capacity restrictions, everything else. And just now your Lord and Savior, Bashir, has come along and said you can now reopen. Has come around and said, okay, you guys can now all reopen. I'm a gracious God. You can reopen. But we're going to pay your staff more money than they made working for you to stay home. You're effectively closing me again. At this point, I have nothing to say, but Democrats are, are clearly declaring war on small business at this point. And they're talking about a third check. Well, they're clearly, clearly declaring war on small business. That's what's happened. And of course, you have the lefties coming out with their stupid comments. Oh, my God. Gosh, all these stupid comments. Silly, stupid comments like, well, maybe if you paid them more, you wouldn't have to worry about it. They just don't want to work for you. You're literally paying them more than they did while they were working. Okay? I'm already competing with them not working. So I don't just have to match what they're making on unemployment. I have to go over that enough to entice them to actually work. Because here's the deal. I'm a human. If you paid me $400 to work, you would have to at least pay me probably around, or $400 not to work. You would probably have to pay me at least six to $700 a week to go back to work. Because why would, it's got to be enough money to be worth my time because I'm not making, I'm not making $700 a week. In my mind, I'm making $300 a week to go back to work because I was already making $400. So like, well, you just need to pay them more to entice them off. Okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to pay them more. Now your prices have to go up. And you would think they would learn. I mean, you'd think after you saw percentages like here in Kentucky, 25% of small businesses. Jersey, I believe, had New Jersey had like 50% of small businesses closed. You're seeing these small businesses close in giant percentages. And you saw it from the beginning till the end just closing. And you think you'd realize that small business owners are not made of money. are not made of money. They're just not. And that's obvious, but you won't learn. You won't learn. You see 20, 30, 50% of small businesses closing after you just close them for a couple of months, force close them, small strangle them. And you think they then now have the money to pay their staff, what, double what they were paying them before in order to entice them to get off the couch and come work? You think they can afford it? You think they can afford it.
No, they can't. And it's so ridiculous to me. One thing I was hoping, I was hoping for one thing, I was hoping for one thing positive to come about of this entire situation. Well, two things. One thing I was hoping positive was, and because under Donald Trump, we had such low unemployment that we also had hiring issues, but more so the hiring issues were more so the, that like, they'd be like, oh, I want to take off today. And you couldn't hold them accountable and say, no, you can't take off today because they'd just be like, okay, well, I just quit then because they know they could find a job the next day, right? We weren't even just battling with not working there. So you have unemployment, you have a lot of jobs and battling with them not working. But, but, you would think though that in battling with that prices, they would understand prices got to go up. They're going to have to go up because they got to pay people more now. But they still think, even though they're battling with that, even though we were battling with unemployment forward, now you got all these clothes, like, oh, you're made of money. You are clearly subjugating your staff. These people have never created a thing. They've never owned a thing. They've never created a job. They've never opened a business. If they had, they'd know right away the real life aspects of how that works. They'd know right away. But instead they say dumb things like, oh, you just gotta pay them more. From where? Where's that money gonna come from? Out of my pockets? The government already took out of my pocket. The government already closed me didn't offer me unemployment, nearly took everything from me. I don't have anywhere to get the money from. I don't have anywhere. There's nowhere. It is what it is. Small businesses are trying to build back and you're robbing them by paying their workers to stay home. It's a sad disgrace and it, if anything our recovery would be so much greater and bigger and amazing if that wasn't the case because you know what you'd have more economy flowing because places are literally just having to be closed think of how much bigger and better our economy would be people are actually working so the democrats you have already screwed this up and you try to attack the Republicans over not signing the relief package, I want to shake every single person who did not vote for the unemployment to be extended its hand because at least they tried to stop this impending doom from occurring. Impending doom. But we're for the working man. No, you're not. You're for yourselves. You're for consolidating power. You're for coming together. And it's disgusting and it's gross. I thank you guys for joining me this evening. Please, once again, you can watch this as a podcast, Fresh Brewed Kentucky Politics. Please come by the coffee shop there in Lexington. If you're in the area, grab yourself a cup of joe. You can check us out online at broodco.com, B-R-E-W-E-D-C-O.com, B-R-E-W-E-D-C-O.com. And please share this out. I thank you guys so much for your time.